Let us pray. Lord God, as we come now to open Your Word, to read it, to hear it proclaimed, we ask that You would give us understanding here this morning. That we would see if we do not repent of our own sin, that You do wet the sword. Lord, we ask as we Hear your word this morning as we seek to understand by your Holy Spirit that you would work in us, work in our hearts and our minds, give us understanding. And the Lord ultimately point us to Christ because we are righteous through his perfect righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. Samuel 19, we'll begin our reading at verse 1, read to the end of the chapter, verse 24, hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David. Because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it, and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines, and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. And a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. 
Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head, and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. When the messengers came in, behold, the image that was the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Secu. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we finished up with 1 Samuel 18. We looked at verses 17 through 30, and we saw, first of all, Saul's deceit. He'd come to David and said, take my eldest daughter as wife, and The day that David was supposed to take her as wife, Saul gave her to another. But then Saul heard that Michael, his daughter, loved David. And so we heard of Saul's plan. He would give Michael, his daughter, to David so that she would be a snare to him. Now it did not turn out that way as we see this morning. Then finally we heard of Saul's price for David to become his son-in-law. He wanted 104 skins of the Philistines. And so David went out and collected not 100, but he, he killed 200 of the Philistines and collected 204 skins and brought them back to Saul. And so David became the son-in-law of Saul. In verses 28 and 29 of chapter 18, we read these words, but when Saul... Saul and you, the Lord who was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. 
Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. And so this morning we see nothing has changed. Saul continues with his murderous intentions towards David. Saul is an example to us. The Bible gives us both good and bad examples. And we know Saul now at this point in his life is a bad example. We see with this man what happens when a person lets anger take root in their hearts. Now again, there are two types of anger. The Bible tells us as much. There is a righteous anger. We see that type of anger with our Lord when two times He cleared the temple as He saw in the temple of God uh, that it had really become a, a Walmart. Buying and selling. And Jesus drove them out. That is righteous anger. There is nothing sinful with that type of anger. I, I hope and pray that we as God's people have that type of anger against the wickedness that we are seeing even more so now than maybe we did a few years ago in our nation. The vile wickedness and, and lying and hypocrisy and the vileness that is out there. We should have a righteous anger against such. But then you have the type of anger that Saul has, and it is the sinful type of anger. Saul is so controlled by his anger that he only wants one thing. He only has his mind set on one thing, and that is to murder David. And this is what happens when anger is not repentant of. Jesus tells us that, that anger begins in our hearts, doesn't it? And he goes so far in the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount to say, if you have hated your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. But as it begins in the heart, it then leads to our thoughts. And maybe it leads to thoughts of us murdering someone. And then those thoughts will ultimately lead to action, to physical murder. Now we know by God's providence, Saul's plans will not succeed. But it doesn't stop him from trying. Saul is ruled by his anger towards David. And so there are three things I want us to see here this morning in our text. And the first is this, that Jonathan intercedes for David. We see that in the, in the first seven verses. We have the directive from Saul in, in verse 1 as he tells Jonathan and all of his servants, I want you to kill David. Now again, this is what a tyrant looks like. Saul has become a tyrant. And the question is always, isn't it, when, when, when uh, uh, the civil magistrate becomes a tyrant... What are we as Christians to do? Do we have a responsibility to stand up against that tyrant? Now, it's according to who you ask, right? Some say no. But as we're going to see, Jonathan is going to stand up against his own father. And he does so by putting his own life at risk. 
Jonathan knows what is happening. He sees it. He knows the sin that his father is committing. Saul's anger has consumed him. And so Jonathan hears of this and he goes and he tells David. And he says, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Now, why did Jonathan do this? Because he loved David. They were friends. We saw what that friendship looked like a few weeks ago. An example of biblical friendship. And he loved and he cared for his friend. And so he said, David, you need to go hide. My father, he's going to try to kill you. But I'm, I'm going to... Talk with him. And that's what Jonathan does. Jonathan intercedes for David. And we see that in verses 4 through 7. Now when you hear that word intercedes. Your mind should immediately go to Christ. Because as we have gathered together here this morning. He's interceding for us. He makes intercession on behalf of. Of, uh, of us here this morning at the right hand of His Father. He is praying for us. He is interceding for us as we have gathered together to worship. And so Jonathan is interceding and he's putting his own life on the line as he does so. Now why would he do that? Well, Jesus tells us, doesn't He? The fact that true friendship and a true friend will even lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan is willing to lay down his life, even if it means confronting his father. And so Jonathan speaks well of David to Saul. He reminds Saul of all of what David has done for him. The victories that David had won for him. All the good that he has brought. Verse 5, Jonathan says, For he took his life, in his hand, he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Now Saul could react in one of two ways. He could agree with his son or he could kill his son. That was about it. I guess he could have thrown Jonathan in prison. And in this moment, Saul agrees. And he listens to the voice of Jonathan. And he swears, as long as the Lord lives, David shall not be put to death. Jonathan calls for David and brings him back. And they all go back together. David again in the service of Saul the king. But that... That word was short-lived. We see Saul lying. He bowed, but yet he did not keep it. He swore by the name of Jehovah. That's the only, the only name that we can swear by, the name of God. He did not keep that vow. So the second, we again see Saul's, angrous, or Saul's murderous intent. His anger leading him to that murderous intent. There's, there's another war. There's always a war and rumors of wars, right? 
People always fighting one another. And again, the Philistines come and there is war with Israel. And what does David do? He goes out and he is successful. How? By the hand of God. We have seen God giving David many victories over his enemies. And then that harmful spirit from God it is God that is sending the demonic spirit, the harmful spirit to Saul. Again, that, that shows us that, that even the demons answer to God. He uses them as he pleases. He uses Satan as he pleases. Satan is not an equal with God. So God brings this harmful spirit upon Saul again. And, and there's David, right? David doing his job. David playing the liar uh, as, as he would do when that harmful spirit came upon Saul. And Saul has that spear in his hand. And he throws it. Again, by the providence of God, David escapes. Uh, David flees and he escapes that night. Now before, remember, that was really the end of it. But now Saul is like, no, I, I'm not letting go of it. And he is bound and determined to, to murder David by, by the morning. In verse 11, Saul sends messengers to David's house to watch him. With that one purpose. To murder him. Now the Bible doesn't tell us, but Michael finds out about this. She tells him the danger that he is in. And, and so Michael lets David escape and down through the window. And notice in verse 13, she took an image. Now, this image is an ho a household god. It was an idol. And we know from our study of the New Testament that the people of Israel did not get rid of all their household gods. They would keep them. Now this time, God uses it for good. Because she takes that idol and she puts hair on it and she covers it all up. She puts goat's hair on its head and covers it with clothes and she lays it in the bed like that is David. And so Saul sends his messengers to kill David and they say, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. She says he's, he's sick. Now this is a lie, right? He's not sick. Does God condemn her for this lie? No. We, we know from other places in Scripture. We have Rahab, right? Rahab, who knew that the, the spies were there and knew all that they were going to do, but she protected them. And this is what we find Michael doing. I wonder if we're ever put in that situation, what we would do. If someone came knocking on the door, such and such here, knowing that if we tell them they are or they're not, that they're probably going to be killed, what would we do with that? We might find out one day. And so Saul is not happy with his daughter. Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? And so David is gone. Saul is at his wit's end by this time. And, and so that takes us to the third thing we find. And it is this. God confounding Saul. 
and saving David. And don't you like the strange ways that God saves His people from time to time in the Bible? David goes and he escapes to Samuel at Ramah. He tells Samuel all that Saul had done and and they go and they live at Naoth. We don't know how long this was, but Saul finds out where David's at. And so he begins to send messengers. He sends the first messengers to them. And as they are coming, the Spirit of God overtakes them. And instead of killing David, they prophesy for God. He sends a second group of messengers. And as they approach where David and Samuel are, instead of going and killing David, they they prophesy by the Spirit of God. And, And then a third time, Saul sends messengers. And as they approach, the Spirit of God overtakes them, and instead of killing David, they prophesy by the Spirit of God. And so Saul hears of this and he says, well, I guess I'm going to go take care of this myself. And he goes. Now, Saul goes and he goes to the great well in Secu and asks, where are Samuel and David? Behold, they are at Nahoth and Ramah. And there he goes to Nahoth and Ramah. And notice what happens as he approaches, the Spirit of God comes upon him. He prophesies. He takes off all of his clothes as he's doing it. And he speaks what God the Spirit gives to him all day and all night. And it was such a, a scene that people were starting to ask the question, is Saul a prophet? Is he now a prophet? That is how convincing it was. That's what the Spirit was doing. And, and you see, God was confounding Saul. Saul had his plan, and God said no. Now, we know why, because David is the chosen king. David is the one. David is the man of God's own choosing. David is the king that God will choose to lead his people. And, and David will be the king that, and the man who is a man after God's own heart. You see, Saul has forfeited all that because of his unbelief. He has forfeited the the throne. He has forfeited everything that came of that. And now he has this, this evil spirit, this demon living within him. But God is the one that is controlling the whole situation. And so that's the first point of application for us here this morning. We see that God is in control and Saul is not. Now Saul had his plan, right? His plan. One plan. Kill David. That was it. He had one focus. He, he, he had the blinders on. He had tunnel vision. That's all he could see was David dying, either by his hand or the hand of someone else. It didn't matter. And God reminded Saul, Saul, you may think you have your plan, but I have mine. And God's plan is always greater than ours. Saul was was hell-bent on killing David. And God said no. 
And so this reminds us of something very important. Is this. The, the world, the world around us, desires to destroy and kill the church. But God says no. That is a great encouragement, isn't it? We, we hear this and we see this in other parts of the world where, where the church and, and Christians are being killed. I, I saw this morning, I cannot remember the country somewhere, I believe in Africa, but a man and his son, after leaving a Bible study, the son was seven, the man was 46. Their heads were taken off by Muslims. Why? Because they're Christians. And the world hates the world hates Christ, but the church will prevail. Yes, there will be martyrs, and there have been martyrs ever since the beginning of all of this, hasn't it? There have been martyrs for the faith. There have been martyrs in in the church, but has that stopped God from expanding the church? Not at all. And that should give us great confidence. Again, the day may come where they come and they take us all away. Uh, they, the day may come when, when they enter this building and they arrest every single one of us and send us somewhere we may not even know where we're going, but the church will live on. We see that with the apostles. All but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. But that did not kill the church. See, because God has His plan. And what is that plan for the church? The plan is this, that Christ and His name will be spread from country to country, from pole to pole, and the elect of God will be saved. And when the last of the elect of God are saved, Jesus will come in His glory to bring us home. That's the plan. The world will rage. The dragon will rage. The serpent will rage. But in the end, Christ and the church are victorious. The second, we see again God delivering many times in ways that are quite unusual to us. To see a king naked prophesying the word of God is quite strange. But not only strange, it's demeaning to Saul as well. You see, that is the reminder of Saul that he's not in control. That is a reminder to this king that God is sovereign. And so God controls kings and governments. And one of the things we are to do, we are to be praying, right? And hopefully we are. We're praying for the civil magistrate. We pray even, even when we see unbelieving civil magistrates. We pray for them. And you see many in the civil magistrate are not believers. Many in the government on, on, a, on a federal, state, and local level. They are not believers in Jesus Christ. But we pray for them. You see God uses them ultimately for His glory. And to do what? To advance His kingdom. To advance the gospel. To advance the church. Sometimes it is in the strange way of martyrdom. But it happens. 
God delivers one Christian from this life and takes them home as they die a martyr's death. And that sets the world on fire with the gospel. And more and more men and women and children are saved. It is God who controls all these things. Third, we see Jonathan interceding with his own life for the sake of his friend. Now hopefully you understand the application. This is a picture of Christ. It is a picture of Jesus interceding for those whom He came to die for. Who did Jesus come to die for? All that the Father gave to Him. And at the cross, Jesus is in their place. Uh, At the cross, He's suffering the wrath of God for all who would come to Christ in faith and repentance throughout the history of the world. And all for whom Jesus died will be saved. Not one will be lost. You see, Jesus has done that for His people. That reconciliation that Jonathan brought between Saul and David, as we have seen, that was short-lived, wasn't it? But the reconciliation that Jesus brings between us and God is eternal. Have you ever thought this? I've sinned so much. I've, I've committed this sin or that sin for so many times. Surely, I must lose my salvation because of it. We've all thought it. We, we go and we, we take that sin that we've done for the millionth time to God and say, Lord, I, I did it again. Forgive me. But in between that, we think, Lord, you can't forgive me because I'm just too bad. I'm too evil. I'm too wicked. And we are reminded, though, this morning that it is for the wicked. It is for the evil. It is for the bad that Jesus died on the cross on their behalf. And He intercedes for us today. And when Satan comes to make accusations towards us, there is Christ saying to His Father, I died for Him. I died for her. The price is paid. Because of the intercession of Jesus. Because of His life, death, and resurrection. Those who have faith in Christ. We have been reconciled with God our Creator. And there is nothing, Paul says in Romans 8, that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is your eternal inheritance, Christians. Nothing. So finally, let me ask you, are you reconciled to God this morning through Christ? Now, how does that happen? Well, it's very simple, isn't it? God reveals to you your sin. And if you think you're a good person this morning, then you're not. I'm not a good person apart from Christ. I'm only good in and through Jesus. God reveals to you that you're not a good person, that you're wicked, that you're evil. If not for the grace of God, you would be the greatest serial killer in the world. But He shows you that. And He reveals that to you by way of His Spirit coming and showing you that and changing your heart. We call that regeneration. Without regeneration, there is no salvation. 
And He gives you a new heart. And he opens your eyes. And you see how wicked you are. And He tells you and He shows you there's only one solution. There's only one way, one truth, one life. And that's Christ. And you come and you fall at the feet of Jesus. You say, Jesus, I know I'm wicked. I'm evil. I have sinned so much. But I believe that You will take away my sin. As you do that in faith, Jesus will take away your sin. And we're reminded of that as we come to the table this morning. What Jesus has done to take away our sin. To save us. To redeem us. Not only does He intercede now and pray to the Father, and He prayed for us and in His high priestly prayer the night He was betrayed, but then He went to the cross... And he laid down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life for all who will trust in him. And so we come to this table grateful this morning. That God has opened our hearts. That God has given us faith. And he has forgiven us through Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father. We thank You this morning for Your Word and what we can learn from it. And Father, we ask that You would forgive us for the times where we have hated a brother or another person. And we have murdered them in our hearts. We know in and through Christ we are forgiven. And oh Lord, I pray for any here this morning that has not yet tasted of that salvation as freely offered to them in Christ. That You would give them a new heart. You would open their eyes. You would unstop their ears. That by Your Spirit, You would give them that heart and they would see and understand that without Jesus, they're lost. And then give them the very faith they need to believe. And O Lord, as we come to the table now, we come in faith. We come rejoicing that you have saved us and redeemed us by the blood of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.